Today on State Scoop's Priorities podcast from Scoop News Group, a path to tech education while incarcerated. And a lot of people would say, man, I wish I could do the same thing, you know, but without a dad with a checkbook or, you know, some kind of college, college, some kind of college prison program, you're just kind of stuck watching TV and uh, doing push-ups. Welcome to State Scoop's Priorities podcast. Every Thursday, you'll get insights into the state and local government technology community. You'll hear from top leaders across the state and local world and learn about the latest news and trends ahead for the industry. I'm your host, Jake Williams. Here's what's happening this week. California's deputy state CIO will leave government later this year. Russ Nichols, who served as the state's interim CIO before the appointment of Liana Belli Crimmins, will retire in November, he says. Nichols was previously the CIO for the State Department of Corrections and has been in government for more than two decades. The number of ransomware attacks aimed at local governments and health organizations appears to have slowed, according to a report from the Ransomware Task Force. The task force says there have been more than 60 documented attacks on local governments, schools, and hospitals so far this year, compared with about 150 over the same period last year. The U.S. Department of Agriculture will distribute $401 million in loans and grants for rural broadband projects. The now-funded projects will cover 31,000 people across 11 states. You can read these stories and more at statescoop.com. You'll also find links in today's show notes. Seattle is distributing nearly $600,000 this month to 19 community organizations around the city as part of the 2022 edition of its Digital Equity Grant Program. The program is designed to provide tech and internet access to vulnerable residents in the city, Seattle CIO says. One of the program recipients this year is the Prison Scholar Fund, an effort that Dirk Van Velzen started while he was incarcerated more than a decade ago. The fund will use $25,000 from the city to host a new program to help Black, Indigenous, and people of color in the city become proficient in using technology and offer scholarships for coding boot camps. Van Velzen, CEO and founder of Prison Scholar Fund, tells State Scoop's Colin Wood how the effort got started. The short version of a very long story was, I, you know, I was incarcerated in 1999, and the moment I got to prison, I figured I'd just get the Pell Grant and go to school. Then I found out the Pell Grant was no longer available, and you know, I was really lucky. I had a dad that he believed in me, and he didn't give up on me, and he started paying for my education. And uh, the other problem with that was, since the Pell Grant was taken away in '94, pretty much all the college prison programs closed. I think there's about 350. That dropped to about eight across the nation. And so that also means that inside the prison, there was very little support. So in order to do these classes, I really had to do it, you know, paper-based through the mail. And as you can imagine, that's pretty slow. So it took me about 10 years to get a four-year degree. And there were educational resources. You know, there's computers we could use, but I couldn't use the computers for post-secondary work because I wasn't part of their official program. And the official program didn't do post-secondary work. Um, so as I was going along in my degree at Penn State, that's when I kind of decided to start the Prison Scholar Fund because I ran into a lot of people who would see me studying in the day room, seeing me with my books going to college, and a lot of people would say, man, I wish I could do the same thing, you know, but without a dad with a checkbook or, you know, some kind of college, college, some kind of college prison program, you're just kind of stuck watching TV and uh, doing push-ups. So I started the Prison Scholar Fund and we got our 501c3 in 06, but it really started in probably 2003, 2004, just trying to figure out how to raise money for the people around me. And kind of fast forward to how this relates to IT, I kind of mentioned that, you know, there weren't computer accesses or computer resources. Um, 
Additionally, all the online program or all the paper-based programs were kind of transitioning to the online method, including Penn State. So I was around 2008, I think I had like four courses left to do at Penn State and they, they switched to the world campus, which was a completely online. So I had to go find the rest of my courses across America, which is really hard to do. And at the very end, there was one course that was missing and I couldn't find it anywhere. And it was uh, a higher level course. It was called article writing. So um, I was kind of stuck and I was really lucky because my advisor at Penn State reached out to the person that used to teach the course paper-based and he opened it up just for me so I could finish that last course I needed for my degree. You know, so once again, another example of being really lucky, but also another example of how everything's moving online. Paper-based might sound like a good idea, but it's not really that great of an idea when you can do a hybrid learning or some kind of online course, which comes back into what can you bring into a prison environment if it's online? Because then you're missing culture, you're mixing cultures. You have the risk averse people that run prisons, and then you have the the tech savvy people that can, you know, introduce this programming, and that doesn't always mix well. Hmm. Um, so while you know while I've been pursuing my undergraduate degree, I've always had the the fantasy of man, if we could just bring in computer coding into the, the environment, because that's in prison, you have this really wonderful environment, <laughs> as terrible as, as that sounds, to really focus on something. Yeah. Like in my case, before prison, I didn't have the maturity or the delayed gratification to actually study. But in prison, with so few distractions, I could really just knuckle down and, you know, get to work. Um, same thing, I've always been kind of a tech geek when I was a kid. And I would fantasize like, man, if I had a computer in my cell, I could just write code all day long and probably make a video game or something really cool. Um, but of course you couldn't have computers, you couldn't have any kind of coding program. So that kind of, I've always had that dream, you know, try to keep that dream alive. When I got out of prison in 2015, I tried to start a coding program on the inside, you know, didn't get have any traction back then. But around then, I think in 2016, Cy, who's in this call with us, he, uh, he was a UW student, a computer science engineer or computer science major. And he was one of our first interns with the, the University of Washington. And then years later in 2021, he joined the board. And then he he kind of reignited that coding boot camp idea. And I'll I'll hand this over to him and let him tell his version of how that got, got going. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Sai, I'm I'm interested to hear your your uh, your version of of how you got in contact with Dirk and how you how you got started on all this. Yeah. So back in 2016, when I was a sophomore in college, I took a course that had a service learning component to it. So there was an in-class curriculum. And then along with that curriculum, we had to go and work with a Seattle nonprofit. And I was really um, intrigued by the Prison Scholar Fund when I was looking at my options, because I think just the idea of um, helping people who have been incarcerated get an education just really resonated with me. And so I started volunteering at the Prison Scholar Fund back in 2016. And then even after the service learning class ended, over the years on and off, I kept I kept in touch with Dirk. I kept working and volunteering whenever I could. My volunteering really ramped up during the pandemic as I was trying to figure out how to use all this extra time that I had. Um, because, you know, with the pandemic, we weren't really leaving our houses anymore, right? Uh, and the Prison Scholar Fund provided this great opportunity to still contribute to my community, 
albeit remotely, right? My involvement ramped up over the years. In 2021, I joined the board. And then shortly after I joined the board, Derek was like, hey, I had this idea a few years ago. I wanted to teach people who have who are either actually currently incarcerated or formerly incarcerated how to code. And he ran into some struggles doing that a couple of years ago, but he was like, hey, you're an engineer, you know the space uh, pretty well. How about you try and solve this problem? Let's see if we can resurrect this idea. And ever since then, it's been a process of building out this program, trying to bring partners together. We can talk more about that if you'd like. Um, and I guess guiding students all the way from upskilling to employment. Right. Well, why? All right. Maybe this is a good question for Dirk. Why, why coding specifically? So there's kind of a couple of reasons. One is obviously it's a high paying job if you can get one as a coder. And on the prison, on the inside of the prison, when they kind of offer opportunities to currently and formerly incarcerated people, the prison system kind of, they view what currently incarcerated people should train for is kind of condescending. You know, they have all these construction trades and blue collar trades. And, you know, if you want to be a hairdresser, you know, if you want to learn drywall or roofing, and I'm not, you know, I used to do construction as a kid too. So I'm not, I'm not trying to bash the construction trade, but it seems like they're trying to pigeonhole people into mm. kind of blue collar work and condescending in the way that they didn't really see much upward mobility for these people other than let's just try to give them something to do so they don't commit a crime. Mm. Um, but another way to look at it is, um, and I actually have this tagline on our, our website because we had these uh, UW volunteers help us with our language and they, they wrote prisons are full dot, 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 full of potential. And that's really what it is. You know, people made mistakes. They ended up in prison for whatever reason it is. And they're not necessarily bad people. And we don't need to really limit their options to what we think they should be doing. And a good way to look at that in context is about 30 years ago, the White House did a report or did a study of Americans to figure out the criminality of America. And they surveyed a bunch of Americans, and it turns out that 91% of Americans have admitted doing something that will, would have landed them in prison <laughs> as opposed to just jail, which is you know, a pretty serious, pretty serious crime. But for these 91% of Americans, they either didn't get caught, you know, they had um, you know, the luck to get out of it or the family resources to get out of it. For whatever it was, they committed these crimes, didn't get prosecuted for it. And... Uh, so when employers say, you know, we don't want to hire felons, well, you're just hiring the people that got caught. And actually, you're, hiring, you're not going to hire the people that uh, you actually know what they did. So 91% of your workforce, generally speaking, has committed some kind of crime in their past. You just have no idea who that is. So it's really kind of disingenuous to say you're not going to hire a, a formerly incarcerated person or a person with a felony just because they, they're the ones that got caught. They're unlucky enough for all that. So coming back to the prison environment, you know, if you have this whole mix of people that are in prison, they were just unlucky enough to get caught. That doesn't mean they're terrible people. It doesn't mean they don't have the mental capacity to do some great things. And so would it be great if they could be coders, you know, give them a roadmap, maybe transitioning from blue collar work to something that they, they can use their minds for. And they, uh, you know, you can't really be a roofer for 60 years and it's kind of hard on your, hard on your body. And, the other part is really the challenge. You know, it's, it's very, very difficult to do this. 
And I think Sai and I both really embrace challenges. So it's kind of like, you know, wouldn't it be great if we could do this? It's like, oh my God, that's gonna be so hard. <laughs> Let's do it. And that's kind of how Sai got involved. We're like, okay, how do we find a coding bootcamp? He just made a list <laughs> as simple as that is. And the first person we talked to was Coding Dojo. And I think that was because it was alphabetical. And you know, halfway into our pitch with Coding Dojo, the CEO said, you know, let's do it. Great idea. So. Right. Yeah. I mean, if they have, you know, they have programming classes for children. So, you know, maybe they're not doing the most complex things in the world, but if they can learn it, then probably a lot of adults can too. And a great example of that is they, they had a coding program for refugees from, Sai so might remember, but they had refugees coming from America, from one of the uh, war-torn countries in the world. And those people just, you know, straight off the boat, they were learning how to code and they were getting jobs right away. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. Your organization was one of a handful or, or maybe more than that, that was that recently received funding from Seattle's uh, digital equity program, which has been going on forever. Could you go into detail about, if I remember right, I think you got $25,000 or maybe more. Uh, what are you planning to do with that funding? Yeah, and this is a great example of a gap we identified after we started. So we figured, hey, we'll catch people coming out of prison, get them in work release when they have all this, you know, they're not encumbered by, you know, trappings of society. We can kind of catch them fresh. They're going to be hard workers and we can put them right in the boot camp. And we also had partnerships on the inside of prison so we could catch, you know, some of the people coming out of the, um, some of the prisons in, in a little background there, some of the prisons have kind of low level coding coding environments. So they teach HTML, CSS, kind of the, the bedrock of the coding language. And we figured it'd be great to have a partnership with these, these uh, programs and we could catch some of their, the people transition to society and drop them in our, in our boot camp because we already know they have aptitude. Um, they have an interest in this work. So it seemed like it'd be a really natural fit. And we got a couple of these people in our program and it turns out while they could actually do computer coding they had no experience doing simple things like how to Google something, how to respond to an email, how to jump on a Zoom chat. Like some of the stuff we, we just take for granted, you know, how to use Google Sheets or Microsoft Word. Um, <laughs> so there's this huge gap for these really high potential people that we just didn't even think needed to be filled because they're high potential people. But it turns out, of course, they do. You know, they need to uh, figure out how to do that appropriately. And even with Coding Dojo, they would have people coming to their class and, you know, these guys already know how to code, but they couldn't figure out how to get on Zoom. Um, <laughs> I mean, we laugh because it seems so simple, but it's not if you've never used Zoom before. And so that's basically the, the, the thrust of the Seattle Digital Equity Grant is to kind of catch people coming out of prison and we can get everyone, you know, we're anticipating about 160 people in the course of a year to give them basic digital, digital literacy. Hmm. And then... As we train formerly incarcerated people just on the, the bare bones, how to use a computer and all the stuff I just mentioned, we'll also probably pull some people from those courses that have the aptitude and the interest to the coding bootcamp. So it's kind of a feeder for the bootcamp, but it's also just to get people familiar with computers because you need them every day. You need, you know, you need them to find a job, to answer emails, connect with your family. Social media is important, including and a side note here, including the part I'm going to mention is I have a lot of friends that got out of prison and I see their, their Facebook pages and their Facebook pages almost on a weekly basis are being hacked. 
Yeah. Because, you know, they keep clicking on the wrong things. Right. They see these beautiful women that want to reach out to them. Yeah. They don't understand <laughs> the dangerous world of social media and yeah. how everyone is terrible. <laughs> right. They're probably thinking, yeah, this is great. All, all these women want to talk to me. This life is good. <laughs> life is yeah. good. You have this fantasy <laughs> when you're in prison, like you're surrounded by men. And the moment you yeah. get out of prison, you're like, oh, this world's going to open up to me, including all these beautiful women. And you're going to find them online. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think we all have family members, uh, you know, you know, pris prison or not, just just older, older family members who who uh, need help. It's you need you need technology just to function now, whatever, you know, for most jobs or most most things. So that's uh, that's very relatable, I think. So this is a good question for either one of you, I think, Cy or Dirk. Um, do you have any favorite anecdotes or um, success stories, people who've who've participated in the program and who've either, you know, lands are a good job or whatever the case may be. Yeah. So we're still early on hmm. in the development of this program. So um, the majority of our graduate of our candidates have not graduated yet. And um, the one graduate or the one candidate that has graduated so far, we're still actively trying to place him in, um, in some sort of, he, he currently has a good job. We're trying to, place him in a job that will take advantage of his new skill set. Hmm. So this is a very active process. But I do have a, a story that I like to think about um, whenever I feel, you know, whenever, <laughs> to, to motivate myself, I guess, uh, as I work on this project. And we had this one candidate that was really struggling, right? This is a candidate that is super passionate about tech very excited about the potential for this program to change his life, right? And is a hard worker, right? But we have to keep in mind that the people that we're trying to help don't necessarily have a lot of technological experience, might not even might not have even prioritized education when they were in school, right? And so they're naturally going to struggle um, sometimes in these, like this boot camp is very difficult, right? It's a very rigorous academic environment. And so this, this candidate struggled on an exam, was starting to doubt himself, right? Hmm. And so Dirk and I had to, you know, he was, he was almost like, hey, what if, I, don't, I don't know, maybe I, I'm so scared of disappointing you guys. Um, I don't know if I can complete this program. Maybe it's not a good for, fit for me. And then Dirk and I had to like kind of walk him off a ledge and be like, you know, everyone struggles with yeah. this material, right? Like computer science is not easy. Um, I, I have experience teaching computer science. Um, in high school, I experienced teaching computer science uh, to college students at the University of Washington. Everybody struggles, right? But in the end, that struggle was never an indication that you don't belong in tech and that this is not the path for you. And it's just about really finding that grit and committing yourself to the path and you will be surprised at what you what you achieve and so after we had this heart to heart with the student you know he picked himself back up right and he's continuing through the program he's I, he's passed every test i think so far um since then yeah i think that i personally yeah. that's what i've gotten satisfaction yeah from. that's great and yeah you just have to tell him this is why they invented stack overflow <laughs> everyone is everyone is just googling stuff most of the time i think so no one can no one can figure out everything for themselves on the heels of this guy we have another student and uh he had no idea how difficult this was going to be 
And so he got out and it turned out to be way more difficult than he thought, but he really just rose to the challenge. You know, I think he thought that he could just skate through it. You know, and I don't mean to dash bash the department of corrections programs, but in there, he's like, he basically said, you just show up and kind of, you know, minimal effort, you can get an A. Hmm. And then he gets out here with that same kind of effort for performance metric. And he finds out it's a lot harder than it is. Um, but he just dove right in. And I think he spends pretty much all day on his code. And he just had an, ex an exam recently and he got a black belt on it, which is kind of a big deal, which just shows that uh, you can take that challenge and really dive into it. Right. All right. Well, that's great. Um, give you guys a chance to plug your website and anything else you want to uh, let people know about, about the program. Yeah, please uh, visit our website. It's prisonscholars.org. And we have a link on there for the coding bootcamp. And we'll also have a link on there for the digital equity computer basics program. And you can sign up and we'd love to get you rolling with, you know, you know, you don't have to be just out of prison, but if you don't know how to use a computer well, and we have some great Google volunteers, I think we have about 30 Google volunteers that signed up to help with the bootcamp and the digital equity. So you'll be mentored and taught by people that are, they kind of know what they're doing. <laughs> just to say it nicely. Um, if you have aptitude for the boot camp, we'd love to have you there. We really have a strong focus on opening up access to everybody. You know, we really want a diverse pool of people that just really, this is their thing and they want to kick ass and we'd, we'd like that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the, the one thing I would like to close out with is by saying like, we're actively, we're actively developing this program. This is very experimental. We're learning as we're going, right? And so if you're interested in helping us out uh, in this in this initiative, because it is it is somewhat unique, right? Uh, not a lot of people have worked on things like this before. Uh, if you're interested in helping, we would love to talk to you, right? Uh, I believe Dirk's contact information is on the Prison Scholars website, uh, particularly if you have connections to industry, right? We are actively trying to build a coalition of employers that are open to fair chance hiring. So if you're interested in getting involved and helping us out with this, we'd love to hear from you. Yeah, I'll get my website here. I mean, my email is Dirk, D-I-R-K, at prisonscholars.org. So a great example of the challenges of finding employers for the coding bootcamp graduates is we had, a, uh, we had this really great volunteer and basically his marching orders were, help us find an employer that might hire our, our bootcamp graduates. And we had no guidance for him other than basically cold calling companies. Hmm. And he was a rising senior at the Seattle Academy. And the guy was just great guy. He was not afraid of a challenge. So for the, for a senior project, he basically called, I think 374 places, um, not calling literally, but he would, you know, find him on, he would stalk him on LinkedIn and mm -hmm. other, mm -hmm. other channels. Out of those, he got 30 people that responded out of the 30, we got three people that talked to us. Hmm. So that's kind of the sales funnel for potential employers, but at least we have three. We have three that are that are open to hiring formerly incarcerated bootcamp graduates. That also tells us the amount of work we have ahead of us if we want more. Dirk Van Velzen, CEO and founder of the Prison Scholar Fund and board member, Sai Nimagata. You can read more about their effort and the Seattle Digital Equity Fund at statescoop.com and in links in today's show notes. The Priorities Podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts. If you haven't already, please leave a review or rating on the podcast page. They make it more likely that more people will find the show. This podcast is a product of Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. James Mahoney and Carlin Fisher helped put it together, and the entire Scoop News Group team contributes. Until next week, I'm your host, Jake Williams. 
Thanks for listening.